Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media. So be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now enjoy the message. Our video roll-in that we see each weekend setting up the messages for the series depicts probably one of the most famous rescues in all of human history. It is that great rescue of the Israelites at the Red Sea. Now, there's a theory that's been around for a long time that it wasn't that great of a miracle because the crossing was actually at something called the Reed Sea, which was further north than where most believe it happened, and it was a Uh, at a freshwater inlet that created all these reeds in the water. So the water really would not have been more than maybe ankle deep at the area that the Israelites actually crossed. And so it's an effort that some on the left side of theological understanding would have a way of explaining away that miracle. Well, the problem I have with that is if they crossed the Reed Sea, then it was even a greater miracle because God somehow drowned Pharaoh and his army in ankle deep water. That's pretty crazy, right? I mean, I believe it happened just as the Bible describes it. I think it happened the crossing of the Red Sea. Uh, There's been a lot of archaeologists that have studied this. One more more profound named Ron Wyatt believes he's found the area at the Aquaba Gulf where they actually crossed. Divers have actually found chariot wheels and artifacts from that era. Even human bones have been found. But in the area, they have discovered that the water was still 300 feet deep. And even if you believe it happened at the Gulf of Aquabai, it's still about three to five miles across <laughs> at 300 feet deep. So it's a pretty astounding, pretty incredible miracle when you think about it. I heard about a little boy that went to Sunday school. And in Sunday school, he heard this story for the first time, the crossing of the Red Sea. So his mother asked him when they got in the car, probably like what some of you moms will ask your kids when you get them from Met Kids, hey, what did they teach you today? What did you learn? And the little boy says, well, here's what I learned. Moses was sent behind enemy lines on a rescue mission. When the Israelites were escaping Egypt, they ran into the Red Sea. So while they were building big pontoon bridges and airlifting people across the sea, they had to fight it out with the Egyptians. But fortunately, the Israeli bombers and fighter jets were able to destroy the Egyptians and they all made it across safe. And the mother looked kind of puzzled at her son and said, did they really teach you that in Sunday school? He said, no, but if I told you what the teacher told me, you'd never believe it. (laughs) Well, it is a miracle for certain. But as I've told you before, miracle is never a word God uses to describe anything that he does because he cannot surprise himself. (laughs) Miracle is a word we use, it's our word. We say it's a miracle because it simply describes something that we cannot describe or, or understand. It is our word that's used to describe something God does and what he does is often miraculous beyond the scope of human understanding. But God is in the business of doing the things that we don't understand. He's in the business of doing the things that are beyond our scope of understanding. And this is one of the most profound, it was one of the most incredible miracles in all of the Bible. Here is the story of a people of God who were following after God. And in following after God, he led them through some difficult and some trying times. And we know in hindsight, looking back at that experience that he did so to strengthen their faith. Well, you and I have the benefit of hindsight. 
We understand that now, how that God used those experiences that they had going through the wilderness on their way to the promised land to strengthen their faith, but they didn't understand it at that time. I mean, when you're in the middle of something, it's kind of hard to understand and comprehend all that God is up to. Sometimes, have you ever felt this way? You wonder if he is up to anything at all? Does he even know I exist? Does he comprehend or understand what I'm going through? Does he really care about, about me? And oftentimes it's when you find yourself in these very difficult situations that you find yourself asking those questions. And, and don't beat yourself up too bad. Uh, everybody in the Bible at some point or another have, have come to those moments in time where they've asked those questions, why this, why me, why now? Now, we could understand if we go through a hard time or if Israel was facing a dilemma here and they, they were going through this hard time because of something they've done. Well, we understand that. Sometimes, you know, we, we make mistakes and we do things, we get ourselves into things that sometimes God will, you know, rescue us out of. But when we get ourselves into it, that, that's easier to understand than when you go through something that makes no sense. You begin to check the boxes and say, you know, I didn't miss anything here. I didn't do anything wrong here. I, I, I know I'm where I'm supposed to be. And Israel was exactly where they were supposed to be. They were doing what they were supposed to be doing. God had just delivered them from Egypt. Pharaoh had set them free. You've seen the movie. And so they were making their way toward the promised land. This land, God said, is flowing with milk and honey. And on the journey, they hit this massive wall of water called the Red Sea. And now they find themselves at an impassable, uncrossable, impossible situation. And they had to be wondering, where's God? And yet when you look back in Exodus chapter 13, you know God was with them. In fact, he was leading them because the Bible said, God said, follow the pillar of cloud by day, follow the pillar of fire by night. And the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud represented God's presence with them. As long as they could see that, they knew they were where they were supposed to be. And so they're following this pillar of cloud and it's leading them, winding, traversing through these mountains. And all of a sudden they pop out on this huge beach area, if you believe it, at the Gulf of Aquaba. And all of a sudden they're faced with this huge body of water. Well, they don't swim. They don't have time, as a little boy suggested, to build pontoon boats. There's no thing, such thing in that day as being airlifted. And all of a sudden, the scouts that were working behind this, this massive group of people that were moving said, I got bad news, Pharaoh is coming behind us. And so now the people of God, following God, right where they were supposed to be, find themselves between the devil and the deep blue sea. They find themselves in an impossible, humanly speaking, an impossible situation. And again, they're looking at the pillar of cloud that's hovering over the water. At night, they're seeing the pillar of fire. So they know we hadn't missed God. <laughs> we know we have his presence. He's here. God has led them to seemingly a, a dead end. He's led them into something that they can't get themselves out of. And guys, that's where you have a crisis of faith. When you are where you're supposed to be and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and you're faced with something that is bigger than you and you're faced with something that in your mind could actually destroy you, that's when you have a crisis of faith. In fact, when you read the story, a lot of the people wanted to go back to Egypt. 
And I can tell you when you are faced with something like this in your life that makes no sense at all, you didn't deserve it. You didn't do anything to get there. You were following after God. You were pursuing him. You were doing the best you could to serve him. And all of a sudden you find yourself in a similar situation that makes no sense. And all of a sudden you find yourself at this crossroads of faith and it will inevitably do one of two things to your faith. It will draw you closer to God or it will drive you farther from God. I deal with people all the time. We have them in our church all the time who went through a crisis of faith and for a period of time, it drove them away. I run into them in the grocery store. I see them in different places around town. I run into them, people in other towns and go, hey, I went to the Met. I know who you are. What happened? Oh, you know, stuff happened. And I'm not hard on them. I understand. I, I think if you really have gone through something in your life where your soul has been crushed and your heart has been broken, one of the things, and I can tell you from my own personal experience, you, you're not hard on other people anymore. I cut people a whole lot of slack. I've resigned a lot of times. I just didn't tell you guys about it. <laughs> I'm just suggesting your heart, you don't go very far in life without having those soul-crushing, heartbreaking moments in life where you're faced with things that don't make sense and seem so unfair. So I know there are people out there. We, we, we have close to 20,000 people that call this church their church home. And we go through our roles and we check on them on a regular basis and we, hey, where are you? Oh, we come, we're going to the Met. We'll see you at Christmas. You know, we, we have, <laughs> hey, I ain't hating. I'm just glad to show up. I mean, I, I, there, there was a time at Carroll High School when we're peeking out behind that curtain to see if anybody's going to be out there. And we talk about a BB in a shoebox, <clears throat> but I digress. But the point is, most people would tell you that the reason they're not in church as faithfully or as regularly is they've gone through something or they're going through something. I get it. Sometimes you go through those experiences of life, you were following the pillar of cloud, you saw the pillar of fire, you were where you were supposed to be, you were doing what you were supposed to be doing, and all hell hit your life. And you're going, what's going on? What's God up to? Is he some cosmic killjoy? Is he taking some kind of pleasure in my pain? And you make a decision in your mind that since it doesn't seem fair and you can't seem to get any good counsel, you just say, I'm going to step away. I love God. You know, I believe in heaven. I'm not hating on that, but I, I, I got I to step back. And there are a lot of people who step back. Remember when Job went through all that he went through? Job was probably the most righteous man of his generation. He was a man who feared God, Job 1 said. He did great with his kids. He was a good provider, a hardworking man. And man, the bottom fell out of his life. And listen, God let it happen. He turned to his friends and his friends and the closest ones to him said, you must have done something wrong. I mean, come on. You had, you, you, you had to have done something wrong. And don't you hate that? When you go through something and you're, sometimes your friends say, okay, what'd you do? You, ha you, you had to do something. And you're going, dude. What are you talking about? I had to do something. I, mean, I thought you were my friend. I thought you had my back. Yeah, but you know. I mean, sometimes you get some bad counsel from people who know you best and even love you the most because they don't know how to explain what you're going through either. 
And so they just assume that must be something God's dealing with you on some other level where you must have offended him. Otherwise, you wouldn't be going through what you're going through. I mean, even Job's wife, when he went to her, she said, honey, why don't you just cuss God and die? <laughs> Thank you, sweetheart. What's my point? My point is he was where he was supposed to be doing what he was supposed to be doing, and even the people closest to him couldn't help him. I'm just saying, guys, if you've never been in a situation where there's nowhere to turn and no place to go to receive counsel to help you, and, and then what happens to you in that moment where you either turn to God or turn from God is you lean so heavily into how you're feeling in the moment. And, and, and nothing wrong with feelings. You, you gotta feel what you're feeling when you feel it, I've been told. And we have a lot of good psychologists in our church and your emotional health is so important and I'm not dismissing any of that, but here's what I am saying to your heart, that sometimes when you make life-altering decisions out of your emotion, sometimes you can make a mistake because our emotions are the most unstable and shallowest part of our life. I've had all, have you had different emotions today? When your alarm went off this morning, did you have an emotion? Get up in the middle of the night and you kick the furniture, that's an emotion. Some pain, but it's an emotion. I'm just saying, you, you have an emotion when you get in the car. Good one minute, happy one minute. I'm hungry right now, not too hungry right now. Why'd I go to church? No, I, I hope you're not thinking of that one. But I mean, you're, you're having all these feelings. And I'm saying, if you're not careful, you, you make some deep decisions on the shallowest part of your, your life. Emotions are important, but be careful with your emotions. Martin Luther said, feelings come and feelings go and feelings can be deceiving. And then he said, my warrant is the word of God. Not else is worth believing. What was he saying? He was saying you have to base your decisions sometimes not on how you feel, but on your faith. On your faith. When you hit the crossroad, it's not how you feel about it because we'll see in a minute, their feelings are all over the map. Isn't fair, this isn't right, maybe we should go back, I'm done, I don't know, I, I, this doesn't make sense. And so it, it wasn't, listen, it wasn't the feelings that they needed to base the decision on, it, it was their faith. What is your faith? The Bible says concerning faith, it, it's that he has said, so that we may say, faith is saying what God said. Faith is when I get into his word and I understand what he said, and when I say what he said, that's exercising my faith. God, you said it, and I believe it. That's my faith. But somewhere between what he said and what I say, th there is this inactivity, there is this void, there's this vacuum, a gulf, if you will. There's this space where you're not seeing it yet. And sometimes the fear factor can grip your life to such an extent that it can paralyze you because you're basing your feelings, uh, your decisions rather off feelings and, and not necessarily off your faith. So when you find yourselves at these deep sea moments with the devil pressing in on you, it's not your feelings that are as significant in the moment as it is your, is your faith. What you say to yourself. Whose counsel are you relying on when you can't even rely on those closest to you? The counsel that you should rely on is his counsel. What did God say? What did he say? He said in Hebrews, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's what he said. 
So man, when I'm feeling forsaken and I'm feeling like he's left me and I'm feeling that no one understands me and I'm feeling I'm being criticized or judged by people who don't know why I'm going through what I'm going, and I can't count on that. What I have to count on is what he said. What did he say? He said, I won't leave you and I won't forsake you. So I, I stand on what he said. Faith, the Bible says, Hebrews 11, one, faith is substance. Faith is substance, sub, sub, something beneath you stance to stand. Faith is substance. Some, faith is something beneath you upon which you stand. Faith isn't just a leap into the dark. Faith is saying, God, you said it, and I believe it, even though I have not yet seen it. So there are people at that crossroads like Israel. And, and, and some of them turn away and want to go back and other ones press in and say, no, I, I don't know. I know God can't fail. I, I know he said he won't leave me or forsake me. So I, I, I choose in those moments, I choose in those moments to trust him and to, and to believe him. And so when you read the record, you see how they're pressing in and look in Exodus chapter 14, look at verse 13. Moses comes back to the people and here's what he says to the people. Listen, do not be afraid. Obviously they were afraid. Don't be afraid. Stand firm. Stop wavering in your faith. Stand firm in your faith, and you will see the deliverance of the Lord. He's going to bring this deliverance to you today. He's saying, look, man, don't give up. Don't give in. Don't give out. God sees you. He's got you. He understands where you are. Stand in your faith. Don't waver, and don't allow the fear factor to grip your soul and God's going to deliver you. The Lord will fight for you. You just need to be still, rest in that. And then God pivots to Moses and says, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites, step out by faith, move on. You've got your marching orders. You know what you need to do. Step out, move on. Raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. And he did and they did. And you had a great rescue. One other verse I wanted to give you for your notes is Romans 15, four, where he reminds us that the things that happened to these Old Testament saints happen as examples for us. So the things that happened in the long ago and the far away happen so you and I can learn something about our faith. Because ladies and gentlemen, some of you guys are in similar situations. That's why some of you decided to come to church and some of you watching online, that's why you decided to tune in is because if you're honest about it, you're going through something right now that the people closest to you who know you best and love you most really don't understand. And you may or may not have even tried to tell them, but you don't feel confident in the fact that they would understand it even if you said it. And so you're in this, you're in this space I'm calling my first thought the dilemma, the dilemma. You're in this dilemma. It doesn't make sense. You can't seem to go forward and you can't seem to go backward and you don't know what to do. And you know you haven't done anything to put yourself in this place, but you know God is with you. And you know somehow or another he's working in and through this experience. And so you're trying to get just enough rope to tie a knot in it to hang on a little longer. And so many people find themselves there. So many people. In fact, there are a lot of people. I, I had a guy, I told you one of the services one time, I had a guy tell me, Bill, I don't think I would have ever looked up if I hadn't hit the bottom. And sometimes God will sovereignly allow these problems into our life so that we, we learn to look to him. 
Because the second thing that happens in the story is not only do you see this dilemma that they're faced, but you see the dependence that they had, the dependence. Remember I said it'll drive you to God or it'll drive you away? Well, man, the majority of those people, they just pressed into God and they said, Lord, we don't know, we don't know what you're doing, but we, we know you can't fail. We don't know how this is gonna end up, but we know, God, you don't do wrong. You can't make mistakes. So we choose to trust you. And you see that they increased their dependence on him. And look, we're gonna fall from time to time. You're gonna fall. The Bible says in Psalm 36 that steps of a good person are ordered by the Lord, ordered by the Lord, the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire, steps ordered. I'm following God. I'm doing the best I can. I'm going to work. I'm providing for my family. I'm trying to be a good spouse. I'm trying to be a good example. I'm trying to be a good dad. I'm trying to be a good mom. I'm trying to be a good grandparent. I'm trying to do well in business. I'm trying my best. The steps of a good person, the person that's taking the steps that is doing the right thing, following the pillar of fire, following the pillar of cloud, ordered by the Lord, right where God wants them to be, it says, though they fall. Did you know the best among us fall? You're gonna stumble, you're gonna fall. If you run, sooner or later you're gonna stumble, you're gonna fall. You're gonna pursue God, sooner or later you'll stumble, sooner or later you're gonna fall. It, 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 falling doesn't mean failing. It's just inevitable, it's inescapable. Eventually you'll stumble and fall, but the promise of the Psalm is that you won't utterly be cast down because the Lord will uphold him meaning God will get you back up on your feet. So sometimes, God, guys, when you're doing and you're following God and you're doing the things that he wants you to do, you're gonna stumble, you're gonna fall, you're gonna find yourself between the devil and the deep blue sea. But God has promised, what has he promised? You will not utterly be cast down. The Lord will withhold them. In fact, when Paul was writing to the church at Galatia, he said one of the responsibilities of the church at Galatia is to help people who've stumbled and fallen. Galatians 6, verse 1, you did run well. Who did hunger you? Right? It's this idea that you were doing so well and all of a sudden you stumbled and you fell. And he said, who hindered you? Sometimes it's a who. Sometimes you stumble and fall because someone betrayed you or someone hurt you. And you, you're in a situation because of that. Sometimes it's not a who, but it's a what. Sounds like Dr. Seuss, doesn't it? It's not a who, it's a what. And sometimes you're, it's a what. You're, you're, you're faced with a, a health issue or a financial issue in your life. And sometimes that's what causes you to stumble. But the Bible says that the church is to be in the business of restoring people. It says you who are spiritual, restore those people. The word restore is the same word that is used to reset a broken bone. I don't know if you've ever broken a bone, but if you've been and you've had to break a bone, you've gone to the emergency room, you would tell me and you would agree with me that if that broken bone, you want them to be gentle with you, don't you? Go easy on that broke bone. Brother or sister may be tough, but the bone is broken. Well, he says, church, we're in the business of resetting broken bones. What does that mean? We're to be gentle. Sometimes we can be rough on people. We can be hard on people. Hurt, didn't it? Yeah, won't do that again, will you? Uh-uh. Yeah, that'll teach you. Come back next week, we're gonna make you feel worse about it. Sometimes they think the role of the pastor is just to beat the sin out of people. Come in here and I'll just whip you to Jesus. I've been around churches like that. 
where if you don't leave church feeling worse than when you came, we did something wrong. You walked in here, bless God, you'll crawl out. Now, don't misunderstand me. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. If, if he's got to send you through something, that's his business, not mine. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what you need. You can look at me and you can tell me one thing and it'd be a totally different thing. I, don't, I, I do not know what you need. So my job is to preach God's word and trust that you're going to hear it and respond to it. It's the Holy Spirit's job to do whatever he's going to do. Now, sometimes, listen, sometimes God has to put a brother under before he can put him over. But that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's not my job. My job is to help you understand God's designed you to be more than conquerors. I want to help you get on top of the stuff that's trying to pull you down. But I'm just saying God's doing something in your life that's very unique, and I have no idea what it is. So my job is just to deliver the mail. Your job is to read it and apply it. And that's a pretty good thing. And the job of a church, listen, the job of the church is to try to be in the business of restoring broken people. And I've told you before, you cannot reach somebody until they get reachable. And one of the times people are reachable is when they are broken. They face this dilemma. Why this and why me and why now? And sometimes as a last resort, they'll go to church and say, well, I'm gonna go to church and just see if I can get anything there that might help me make sense of this. And you come to church and you hear somebody say, God loves you. He loves you more than you love you. You might not die for you, but he did. He knows the pain you're feeling. He knows the brokenness and the loneliness of your heart. God knows that and he cares about you and he's promised he will never leave you or forsake you. I'm not recommending a pastor. I'm not recommending a church. I'm recommending Jesus. I'm telling you he's the only hope. He's the only answer. I've told you there's not a Baptist way, an assembly way, and a Church of Christ way. There's a, it doesn't matter what flag you want to fly over your that, that doesn't matter anything when it comes to heaven or hell. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. You need to know Jesus. And when you know Jesus, he makes all the difference in the world. And have you ever thought about it? Sometimes he has to bring you to the end of yourself. Like the guy said, to hit bottom so that you look up. God knows what he's doing. He knows what it takes. So they, Moses goes to God, what do, what do I do? And God says, here's what you do, son. You go back and tell the people this. Look at it. Number one, stop being afraid. Fear not. Now, sometimes fear, you know how this works. Sometimes you've heard this acrostic. I think Zig Ziglar used to talk about fear is false evidence appearing real. Sometimes that's true. Sometimes we fear things that are bigger in our heads. My pastor who's in heaven today, Adrian Rogers, he used to talk about, and I've shared this one of the services about cutting through one of the buildings they were building on his way to the parking lot. And it was late at night. And as he stepped through this new area of construction, uh, he walks to the door, the door closes behind him, had those automatic closers on it, right? And his room's dark. He reaches for the light switch, he can't find the switches on the wall, then he reaches for the door handle to try to go out where they hadn't put the hardware on that side of the door, so there's no way he's getting out of that room. So he said, I knew the only way out of here, the, there's, a push butt, there's a push bar on the doors going out onto the parking lot, I gotta walk through this dark room in order to get to my car, and he said, after my eyes adjusted, all of a sudden, I see a man standing in front of me. And he said, my heart just jumped up in my throat. 
And he said, I said to the man, hello, I'm the pastor of the church here and I'm just trying to make my way to the car. You must be as lost as I am. Why don't we just turn and we'll walk out of here together? The guy said nothing to him, stared at him. Adrian said, man, I'm feeling my heart thumping in my chest. And he said, I thought, well, the only way out of here, one of us has got to move and I got to get to my car. I got to get out of here. He said, I took three steps and walked into the mirror. Sometimes what you fear is a mirror. It takes on an image of its own. You take three steps and you walk into a mirror and you go, wow, I was afraid of that. That wasn't a big deal at all. This ain't what that was. This isn't a mirror. This is a big body of water. This is not a mirror. This is a Pharaoh's army coming. I'm just saying sometimes the things that stretch our faith are real and sometimes they're imagined, but I'm suggesting to you this was real. Some of you are facing real stuff. And the first thing he had to say to them is fear not. You know why? The thing that will kill your faith more than anything is your fear. Because when I'm fearful, I'm relying on what I know I can do or cannot do. When I'm faithful, I'm relying on what he alone can do. So the first step, guys, toward deliverance, number one, is fear not. Number two, he said, be still. What do you mean by that? It means rest in him. Rest in him. Some of you need to resign yourself as the master and ruler of the universe. Go ahead and resign. I'm done. You cannot cause the sun to go down any more than you could cause it to come up. So what are you worried about that stuff for? You need to rest in his, be still, rest in his presence. Just be still, just say, God, I, I, I know you got this. I know you cannot fail me. So I, <laughs> I told you, don't count sheep at night. Talk to the shepherd. Say, God, I know you got to steal my mind. Help me to rest. Help me to have peace. Give me some peace right now. If you're not, be still. What's the third thing he said? He said, watch. Watch, be sensitive to God. Watch for him. Watch for him. Beautiful verse, you're familiar with it, in Isaiah 40, where he said, those who wait on the Lord renew their strength. They mount up with wings as eagles. They run, they're not weary. They walk, they don't faint. What's the key to that? Waiting on him being still, watching for him. What does it mean to wait on him? You go to a restaurant probably in just a little while, <clears throat> you'll have a waiter or a waitress, and what are they doing? They're watching for you. They're looking at you. They're attending to you. They're making sure you have a good experience. They're making sure you have all that you need. What is it to wait on God? It means I'm looking to him. I'm attentive to him. I'm watching for him. I'm listening for him. It means I've turned everything else and all these other inputs and these sources around me that have come up empty because he alone knows what I need. So I'm focused totally on him now. I'm in that zone. And, and he said, when you don't fear, when you're still, when you're watching, and then the last thing he said is start moving toward the water. I would give it to you this way practically. I'd say, take those steps of faith. When you don't know what else to do, just do what you know to do. You say, I don't know where this thing is going ultimately. Well, just take it a day at a time. Get up tomorrow, start your day, check off the boxes, do what you know to do. And as you do what you know to do and you press in and you follow and you're sensitive to God, he'll begin to open things up to you that you did not know yet to do. God will begin to open those things and those mysteries will start being made clear. I guess what I'm saying is walk in the light that you've been given. Proverbs 4.17 said, the path of the righteous is like the shining light of a new day. 
See your life as a walk down a beach at sunup where all you see initially is where to put the next step. But as you continue to take the next steps, the sun comes up and it gets brighter and brighter until soon you're walking into the light of a new day. That's what it is. Because the deliverance happened, the deliverance happened when Moses says, okay guys, the way is forward. Let's step out by faith. And the Bible says, as the people started moving forward, the waters parted. And you have this rescue recorded there in Exodus. So everything came together. God did what he said he would do. The people depended on him. They did what he told them to do. And the deliverance, it happened. And the Bible said, did you all remember that? He, they walked through on dry ground. Now look, I'm sure they'd been happy to slog through on muddy ground. They wouldn't have mattered. Why dry ground? Why is that important? Someone kind of speculated, and I kind of like this, that when you walk through on dry ground, you leave no traces of where you've been. There's no tracks of your past. So when you walk through on dry ground, that means you can't see, the enemy can't see where you've been. God's taking you in a place that nobody can even see where you were. You've walked through on dry ground. And so for some of you guys this morning, you're, you're at the Red Sea. You're feeling the pressure. Pivot and place your trust in him. Depend on him. Keep looking to him, and sooner or later, he'll bring you through. He cannot fail you. He will, if, if he failed you, you'd be the first person in all human history God ever failed. What was it that Job said? He, he said, I, I'm an old man, but I was once young. I'm sorry, David said, I was, I'm an old man, I was once young. And then he said, I have never seen his righteous forsaken or his seed begging ground. Can I tell you this as I close? I've walked through some of the darkest moments that I ever thought I would walk through. And most of you have been with us on that journey. We're soon coming up on the third anniversary of Cindy's, of Cindy's home going. I never, ever, ever imagined that she would go first. Never crossed my mind. I thought I've been so crazy and I put so many miles on this, I'm surely gonna be the one to go, right? I wouldn't have thought anything about it. Well, it makes sense. Sure, I'd be the one to go. You ought to have a good pastor in here now. Things be moving along. I mean, I, well, yeah. But man, when she got sick, and when that started getting worse, and those clouds rolled in. And you took those steps where you knew. We're not going to get the outcome. We're not going to get the answer that we want. This is not going to happen. You come back to your faith. That's all you got. I mean, I'm here by the grace of God. Me and Jim Beam ain't floating on a boat somewhere on a lake. Not this morning anyway. No, I'm just <laughs> I'm just saying you, you try to navigate through the best you can and you try to make your faith work. But I can tell you through my heart that is still broken and my family's heart, I don't think you ever get over that. I, 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 I haven't. But I can tell you this, God has never failed. He's never failed. I mean, in some of the darkest moments where I thought, man, I, 
I can't put how I'm feeling right now on my kids. I can't put how I'm feeling right now on my closest friends. I just can't do it. When you have those crises where you just say, I just gotta have to buck up and get through this on my own somehow. It's just this sense of his presence where he's just saying, son, I'll never leave you. And I'm not gonna forsake you now. So if he would do that for me, let me tell you something, he'll do that for you. If you don't know Jesus, I highly recommend him. Let's pray. Father, thank you that in our brokenness and in our confusion, you're still faithful. Thank you, Lord, that when our hearts are heavy, we go through the grief and the questions of life, you're still faithful. You're too good to do wrong. You're too wise to make a mistake. You can be trusted. So Father, help my friends to join with me and let's just gather up the energy that we have left and keep putting that energy into our faith. Not to be fearful, to rest in you, to be sensitive to you, to keep taking steps of faith. Get up, go to work, make a difference, love your family, do right to your fellow man, do all those things. But while we're doing those things, Lord, Help us to trust you for deliverance. And Father, lastly, I pray for anyone who's never trusted you as Savior. Father, if they've never come to that place where they've received you, I pray this would be the moment. When they did, as these beautiful young folks displayed earlier in baptism, where they just humble their heart and say, Lord Jesus, with all that I know about me, I now trust all that I know about you. Come into my heart. Forgive my sin. And this is the prayer I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.